Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee. This is the Autosport Podcast. Hello and welcome to Autosports. Look back at the biggest news stories to come out of this year's pre-season test. I'm Martin Lee, joined by Matt Q back in the UK, just off a flight, and Alex Kalanokis, who is hanging out in Bahrain ahead of this weekend's opening round of the 2023 Formula One season. Guys, a quick recap on the test. A really interesting three days, wasn't it? Alex, you're still there. How did you find the test? Yeah, I'm sure you can tell I'm still in Bahrain with this lovely nondescript background of my hotel room. Uh, interesting, interesting tidbit, I did just go out to grab some lunch and got rained on in the desert, which uh, that's definitely something I wasn't expecting. Uh, but yeah, the test was pretty much as we were expecting, I think. Red Bull looking like the dominant package, a little bit of disappointment, Ferrari's clearly not quite as confident, and you know, you, you really need those two teams uh, together to have a good title battle, and Mercedes was the big unknown, so they're sort of suggesting... Things have still got to come their way. They've got to make changes to their car before they're going to get back into title title uh, fight consideration. Um, but yeah, but the, the big stories really are further down the grid. I think the, the top three are sort of as you were. And then it's getting to Aston Martin, suddenly looking amazing. Alpine, quietly confident, big upgrade package to come this weekend. And McLaren, what, what's gone wrong there? Well, we, we know essentially what's gone wrong there, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly we weren't expecting to hear Lando Norris sort of talking about the car essentially feeling the same as it was at the end of 2022. So, yeah, those are the, that's my sort of summary feeling of it. But, yeah, great to be back, although it was absolutely exhausting. And, uh, and Matt, uh, no sympathy. No oh, sympathy. Oh, yeah, it's all a relative thing. We're working covering Formula <laughs> 1. It's a wonderful job to be doing. It is still work, though, so we are allowed to complain about being exhausted. Ah, of course, yeah. Uh, and on reflection, uh, Matt, how do you think the teams coped? Because this time last year, we'd already done three days in Barcelona before they rocked up in Bahrain. Limited running ahead of the first race. How do you think they coped this year? Sort of across the board, the teams were sort of saying that we're really good this year because we're not rushing to get a car ready for the first morning of testing. I mean, I know Bahrain was exaggerated last year because Hass's freight was all delayed, so so they you know had to have their own separate running in the evening. But sort of, it just everyone was like, "Wow, this is so much calmer than it was twelve months ago." So they were happy in that respect. And although everyone wants more 
time, regardless of the budget cap, people want more time to test. I think this sort of sheer unreliability, I think we we're clocking up, you know, um, uh, on day one alone, it was another 800 miles over the first day in Bahrain last year, which bear in mind, they'd already had all their troubleshooting at Barcelona. That sort of offsets how limited your time. If you're not breaking down or brake fires or, or, or changing the floors because of porpoising, you can get, you know, stick to your run plans a bit more, which everyone bar McLaren um, with their protracted issues sort of did, then you can, you can offset it a little bit. I know uh, there was some conversation that testing is a bit boring. Obviously, you know, Alex and me are so lucky to be trackside that watching a Formula One car is, is never boring, but this is what you get with the pr- uh, proliferation of the broadcast of F1, that if more is more, then yeah, a car going around in a circle is a bit dull, but, uh, but, there you go. It's still plenty of intriguing plot lines ahead of a fascinating season, I'm sure. Let's get to it then. The top five news stories to come out of testing. How do we know? Well, we base this on page views on two of the world's biggest motorsport websites, Autosport and Motorsport.com. So before you crucify me in the comments to say, that's not a big story, well, it's what you were reading on our website. And the big one, the number one story, whenever we reported on Red Bull being miles ahead and Ferrari hoping to challenge that story as well. Alex, can you explain, because it's your job as our Grand Prix editor to, to dig into the lap time. So people might look at the testing times and see, you know, Perez was quickest overall, therefore... Red Bull are quickest. But you are there every day looking at every six or seven lap stint that the Verstappen was doing and just nailing the times so reliably. You were looking at the long run pace and they do 30, 40, 50 laps in a stint. So we know they're fueled up and looking at that consistency as well. How do you know when we say we've looked at the data, we think Red Bull are strong? What do you look at and how do you make that conclusion? Yes, yeah, so you, you summarised it pretty well there, Martin. I mean, you know, <laughs> but, but for a start, in terms of domination, if it weren't for Joe Guan Yu fitting on a pair of uh, C5s on the second day, it would have been, you know, late on the second day, it would have been a complete qu- a clean sweep of the times uh, for Red Bull. And that, that does tell you something. I, and I think it just shows you how absolutely confident the team is, you know. But Verstappen talk about have, talked about having absolutely no problems on balance or handling, like, so essentially he's saying, well, we've made what was already the best car even better. Like you can almost, you can really suppress his positivity. He even gave, he even gave me a wave in the paddock, you know, and that's Verstappen waving at an autosport reporter. <laughs> he must be in a really, really good place. Uh, so fair, fair enough on that. But yeah, but when it comes to sort of looking at the long, the long run times, that is essentially what we do. We just see, we've got access to, if you speak to the right people, GPS traces from the teams and things like that. And you can get little bits of detail, but it's all very murky in testing. It's more murky than it would say be in an FP2 session, which is typically what we look at we're going to uh, look to see who's strong or which team is going to do better in a particular race because they all pretty much do the same programs but of course in testing fuel loads tend to be massively different engine modes in particular massively different we're very excited or, or certainly very interested in ferrari looking very very strong in a straight line i don't believe for one second red bull had the engine turned up to maximum because why would they they never do it basically in practice for a grand prix weekend and they just spent most of their time on the c3 tire learning about their car not really chasing ultimate performance runs did a little bit at the end but nevertheless but anyway when it comes to the long runs as you say martin red bull typically what they do is just go for shorter set stints on a standardized uh, uh, sort of fuel setting fuel level and just crunch numbers work from there and it was consistently quicker than everybody else you know there is a there are ways of sort of uh, um, uh, calculating how the different fuel loads work obviously you've got you've got to know them to be completely accurate but what i would say is that red bull were just so consistent in their times so they're running typically about two seconds quicker on a long run average now obviously that tells you they're running a massively different fuel level to say ferrari or mercedes or aston martin but the fact that the times were coming in exactly the same from verstappen tells you that red bull is in a really 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 good place 
Well, let's talk a bit about Ferrari, Matt, if we can. Oh, by the way, actually, uh, Red Bull's helmet, Marco, doing our job for us, because I think he told Sky in Germany, on the long run pace, we think we're quicker than everyone. So thanks, Mr. Marco. Uh, Let's talk about Ferrari, though, because they weren't writing themselves off, but they weren't bigging themselves up either. Uh, Were you in any press uh, press conferences with the new boss, Frederick Vasseur? Did you talk to anyone from Ferrari? and, And how did you read when you were standing trackside how did you read how the car was behaving and how they were approaching testing and if they've managed to leapfrog Red Bull or not? I think in terms of uh, sort of speaking to drivers, the one that stands out was Leclerc. So he did a press conference on the second day and he was a bit he was a bit maybe more demure than you would expect. And I think essentially we brought it down to his friars trying to really isolate their setup. And that meant on the first day in the sort of hotter temperatures, slower conditions, Leclerc was basically told, here's a load of understeer, go and deal with it. And I think maybe uh, he, would, he would have liked to jump into a car that was sort of more on rail sooner rather than have to sort of troubleshoot it all. Um, it looked convincing trackside. I think, you know, if you, you get your eye in pretty quickly and you know that from last year, basically watch the Red Bull and if a car does something similar, that's pretty good. And if it's miles off, then maybe not so good. And and the Ferrari, is, it was close, but sort of lacked that wow factor. Um, Alex and I, on, on the first evening, we were uh, walking up to turn 12, which is sort of this uphill right-hander with a bump at the apex. And the Ferrari in particular was sort of quite unsettled with that. Not the return of the porpoising phenomenon, but sort of um, the way that... The, um, uh, uh, it, the rebound and and how it unsettled it from there on. But again, if 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 like Ferrari is saying they're isolating specific setups, I didn't observe that throughout the rest of the testing. So you think they're on top of that? The one thing I would add to it all though is Ferrari sort of has a recent habit of of tracing uh, of chasing sorry ultimate aero downfall sort of almost trying to beat Red Bull its own game of a few years ago. The suggestion is, and this correlates with. Carlos Sainz's struggles with the rear axle last season is that as the compromise is a bit less mechanical grip, so a bit more oversteer on under power. And uh, uh, I'm not I'm not going to say that um, the Ferrari is sort of understeering at low speed in particular, but it sort of it corroborates that theory in sort of uh, speaking speaking to the drivers and stuff. I think they're like a little bit more at low speed, so nothing to suggest that this year it'll be Ferrari winning 17 races. All right, well, let's talk about Mercedes because I mentioned, I think, on the, on the Saturday podcast, the, the wrap-up one uh, YouTube video, that uh, I'd put Red Bull and Ferrari from what I saw up front and I'd then, just from what we saw, put Mercedes back maybe with Aston Martin. I had people saying, no, you're crazy. Mercedes are just sandbagging. They're going to be up the front in Bahrain when they go racing. Other people excited that Aston Martin uh, were quick. But Alex, what's your read on Mercedes? I found it really tough to get an understanding of of where they are. The drivers were sort of positive, but negative. Toto said, we're holding a bit back, but we haven't solved everything. Can you tell us more? Well, it's it's quite a complex picture with Mercedes because there were were times on on certain long runs where George Russell compared very, very favourably to Charles Leclerc, but they didn't compare anywhere compared to the Red Bull. We've already already discussed about the fuel load uh, suggestion for that. But with Mercedes, it's it's essentially that this test was all about sort of, at first making sure they'd engineered out several of the problems with the W13. They seem to have done that 
porpoising not an issue the bouncing or the you know the, 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 the really hard ride from the rock solid suspension last year that seems to have been fixed but the car just isn't handling how the drivers want it you know I think you've got to listen to what Lewis Hamilton says when he's like there are still certain problems in terms of the balance that we had last year so in terms of that ultimate speed because that's really what the drivers are, are looking for it's the feel to when it really gets down to qualifying can they push absolutely flat out the car therefore is still a step further back we can assume uh, from uh, from uh, Red Bull in particular but Ferrari as well that said Mercedes always is better during the races we saw that so many times last year so I think they'll, they'll, they'll probably be a factor because when we look at testing times they're all covered by absolute seconds in the in when it comes to the actual race weekend it's going to be tenths it's, they are going to be much closer I, I understand the sort of sandbagging claims from fans who, you know, there were so many years when Mercedes were saying, oh, actually, we're not very confident, we're out of it, blah, 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 and then they came and blew everybody away. But this year, because it's it's the same concept, it's the same concept essentially as it was uh, at the end of 2022, there's no reason to suspect that they are going to suddenly have made a massive gain. And Mercedes are still talking, even though they've proved the concept is, you know, it's fixed some of its problems. They're still talking about changing the side pods, which is a secondary thing to sort of feed the underfloor area, but it's still a really, really important one. So I think we've got to take from that the Mercedes still doesn't feel it's in the game and it's hoping to work its way back and get there eventually. If you love your tech stuff, then stay tuned. Tomorrow we'll bring you a tech review with Jonathan Noble and Matt Summerfield, followed on Wednesday with our performance review, when John and I will be joined by a guest F1 performance engineer who's been crunching the data all weekend. Okay, our third biggest story, and people here, it's not a positive story, so people are maybe a bit of ambulance chasing here because they want to read about the negative stuff, and that is McLaren's woes. We could see loads of our readers were wanting to read more about McLaren. Well, they were pretty downbeat at launch. The start of the test wasn't great. They were doing running fixes on some aero stuff at the front. But, Matt, is it really as bad as everyone thinks for McLaren? It depends how far you want to go. I've been writing Autosport sort of trackside review and, and the bit I opened with is that, you know, we're testing we don't know a lot, but you can stick a car with a full fuel tanks, old tyres, uh, a low engine mode, and it will, you know, it will not flatter the car, but a good chassis should still always shine through. Whereas, you know, we were seeing a lot of understeer, you know, like a frustrated Lando Norris behind the wheel, just waiting so long to get on the throttle and then a bit nervous. So it it really is hard to cover an entirely bad car up. And I think, you know, we're hearing that they want to bring in effectively a B-spec car for Baku, which is never a good sign if it's a radical overhaul. And it fits in with, again, the sort of, as you said, Martin, the downbeat attitude at, at launch and drivers paying down expectations. But I think what's almost most frustrating is that Lando Norris has said, this year we don't need to have ultimate performance. We're not expecting to win titles, but I just want to be happy in the car. I want to know that on one lap, turn two, it'll behave on this way. And then the next lap on turn two, it'll behave the similar way instead of the massive inconsistency they've had. I would say that inconsistency is still there. So that's a worry if uh, if they're, you know, not dialing out the most fundamental floor and keeping drivers happy. And and yes, the sort of argument is we need to wait for our wind tunnel to come online, but how, how long until we start pointing fingers at the technical team or, or, or is that enough of an excuse that, you know... You, they need they need better infrastructure for now because again at the launch they were they were they were talking about the wind cut tunnel always being the uh, the cherry on the top of the cake rather than uh, the flour I don't know another fundamental ingredient so I think it is a bit more disconcerting and then you have you know unreliability can happen to every every team but 
it, it was sort of like a, 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 a perfect storm of things coming together. So um, with the uh, 2022 and beyond Formula One cars, they have the, the, the flaps running over the front wheels. These were fouling in the early days. So the mechanics were whittling away at them and sort of making them all snug and, 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 uh, and, and uh, not not sort of uh, make contact with the rubber, which, you know, other teams have struggled with that before. But then, come the final day, they had to bench Norris after, I think it was um, just, it was uh, 44 laps, I believe, is all he managed. Because uh, then they were too weak and they needed strengthening. It's just little things like that. So last year, you know, uh, you think back to the, they had two smaller brake ducts and, and the fires. And yes, that didn't fundamentally ruin their season. They were in that good contest with Alpine for fourth, but it put them on the back foot and... The the McLaren insiders are saying the chatter amongst the mechanics and the engineers is sort of here we go again and what we saw on track and arguably what the drivers saying just underline that so uh, yeah McLaren fans I think uh, will be disappointed with the first few races. Yeah, and what struck me is when you and I did a show over the weekend and you mentioned that even Zach Brown's body language you you try to sense something from that now. I've met him a few times, and like many people in Formula One, he is a charismatic force of nature, like many team bosses as well. You have to be. But when he walks in the room, he kind of, you notice he's there. So for him to, again, not be bounding around, even if you're not showing all your cards at testing, that, I don't know, little red flags. I just want McLaren to do well this year uh, to see what they can do. But let's talk about a team who did have a good test, maybe a dark horse for some people. Alex Aston Martin, they got themselves a new technical director, former head of aero from Red Bull. Uh, his feet are well under the table now. Certainly this car will have been his his design. We didn't see any stroll because of a mountain bike uh, injury, which they were being very cagey about naturally. But we saw Drogovic in the car, Lonzo in the car. He looked like 20 years you know, junior to him. He was bouncing around and trying to... Dis- He's a good poker player, but I'm not sure he was disguising how happy he was. Uh, but are we overblowing it? Are we overblowing, Alex, how good Aston Martin's test was? Oh, that's, that's an excellent question. Are we overblowing it? Well, fine. Uh, not from the test. The test was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Whether that translates into, you know, them being able to take on Mercedes uh, come the race weekend, as, as some people were suggesting that they are actually better than Mercedes. I, I personally think that's a bit of a stretch and, you know, I, what, what what my mind goes back to when I say that is that, you know, Matt talked about when uh, the two of us went trackside. We went trackside on, I think it was the second morning we're down at the double uh, apex left of turns 9 and 10 where Sergio Perez was coming through every single time failing to hit an apex, uh, locking up most of the time as well. Uh, but Fernando Alonso it was the complete opposite it was perfect every single time he was so early on the throttle and talking to you know insiders at Aston Martin they're saying actually in a weird way this car is is actually quite easy to drive and obviously it's all relative instead of Formula 1 car it's still very difficult to drive but you know that those little bits that the drivers are really keen to have the Aston has it what I would say is based on that trackside observation is based on how early Alonso was getting on the power and it was way earlier than everybody else, so a good stable package, but perhaps potentially maybe not as much fuel in it. I don't know, of course, you know, never going to know the exact numbers. But yeah, in terms of the test, not overblowing it. Aston Martin looked brilliant. You talk about Dan Fallows, you know, the team Aston there. It is still very, very like the Red Bull, but it's got some other different ideas on it as well. You know, they've gone the sort of Alpine route of channeling the air down the inside of the side pods, and it just, it looks like a glorious package. Um, the, the key thing, though, the reason why people are getting excited about Aston's potential come, uh, come, come race day, come the rest of the season, is that Alonso produced an extremely competitive long run at the very end of the final day. In fact, Aston totally sort of didn't 
engage in that. It wasn't quite like a Q3 shootout, but that, you know, under the lights in the cooler, best conditions, several teams going for finally doing a bit of performance running. Aston didn't do that. So what does that tell me? It tells me they're very, very confident about the package they've got. Need wanted to do their own thing. And as you say, Fernando Alonso, very happy, enjoying what I'm told is a sort of a, a honeymoon period with his team. But hey, if it carries on, you know, being this good, being successful, maybe it'll be a marriage that finally for Alonso lasts very nicely in Formula One. Someone in the comments from that video we made over the weekend said that I wasn't big enough Aston enough. And I promised them that when Alonso gets his first podium this year uh, we'll do a video or a podcast and i'll be wearing my green aston top just to keep that one person happy but let me tell you about uh the reaction to alonzo and sebastian vettel being a partnership this weekend it just broke the internet but is that just because we put up a, a post on our social media we put the two together to say well, look if stroll can't race this weekend you know you're talking Drogovic or van dorn or hey what about Two multiple world champions. Alex, is that just pie in the sky? Did the the paddock just laugh that off? Is there no chance Vettel would come back this weekend? Uh, certainly for Bahrain. Aston have, uh, have already come out and said that if Lance Stroll can't race, that it will be Felipe Drugovic. I think that if, I'm not quite sure. It's obviously some, they're very, as you say, Martin, they're being very cagey, some sort of PR game. But if you believe the rumours about how severe uh, Lance's injuries are, there's there's no way he'll be racing in Bahrain this weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Felipe Drugovic does end up making his debut. That'll, that'll be good for him. You know, Formula 2 champion, you'd like to see people making the step up. But the sort of thinking more long term is that maybe they could get Sebastian Vettel in for Saudi Arabia. Now, Mike Crack answered that question, considered it. Uh, you know, he didn't dismiss it out of hand. He said they have been talking. Maybe there were a few WhatsApps and texts exchanged. You never know. But um, but in terms of like, it ultimately boils down to, there's one on the one argument, it's like, oh, it makes a mockery of having a reserve driver and things like that. But this is a business, ultimately. Like, it's based on results. You've got to think about getting the best results possible. If I had to make a choice between, in, for a short-term, short-term thinking, because Lance Stroll is going to be back eventually, do I want Felipe Drugovic or do I want Sebastian Vettel? Well, it's, it's not a choice. It, of course, I'm going to go for Sebastian Vettel. So it wouldn't shock me if it did that. But you never know. Like If this car is is is, is doing as, as well as we hope and think it might, and I say hope because let's face it, we need something to keep it interesting if Max Verstappen is going to waltz his way to 2023, oh, sorry, 23 F1 wins in 2023, then it, you know maybe Drugovic would be able to do a good enough job and he could keep that drive for as long as, uh, as, long as Lance Stroll needs him to. Absolutely. Get well soon, Lance. And when we say the rumours in the paddock, they're not just people saying, oh, you know, he's really ill, but actually hearing specific things like the the people working on him and the people that put Mark Marquez from MotoGP back together. And they're quite specific things that you get told in the paddock and you think, well, OK, so it's not official from the team, but that's quite serious. So get well soon, Lance, if he is properly uh, properly poorly. Final, very quickly, finally, Matt, I'll come to you because a, a story came out with the drivers getting together to give a bit of a pasting to this news about the proposed tyre blanket ban. And it's all in, in the effort, I think, from what I understand, of saving money. But why are the drivers upset about this? Uh, they're saying it on the grounds of safety, really, uh, because, you know, you come out on uh, on cold tyres and low traction and, and it means you're filtering out the pit lane really slowly. You know, the potential for a collision is massive and, and you know, they're going, we, we, or some of them, there's quite a big split, Verstappen in favour, Sainz and Lewis Hamilton you know, against, but they're they're saying you know if an accident happens, it's it's on your hand. Um, I did notice that on Twitter, James Hinchcliffe, the IndyCar driver, said, you know, I don't get it. I think it's a great spectacle, and and there's sort of the debate around does scrapping tire warmers and not you know having to heat the tires, not having to bring the infrastructure, does that save 
you know the planet does it help with f1 sustainability or does the does the sort of squirming around and and uh, and whatever to to put heat back in the tires does it offset that the thing i add is i i don't think it will you know the intention is to spice up the racing it depends what you want it depends if a drs overtake is particularly satisfying to you because dtm tried this a few years ago they, they scrapped the tire warmers and yes by statistically there were more overtakes but they were really unsatisfying because one car comes out the pits with cold tires and it's a foregone conclusion there's no they can't you know put up a fight they just resist and wait for the next pit stop when their tires are up to speed and the person that's just overtaken it's cooled off so yeah there might be more trading of position but you know you want it to be satisfying protracted thing rather than just just sort of easy like someone's turned the settings down a little bit so that's that's my reservation but um yeah everyone's coming at it from cost and sustainability angle well that one's going to rumble on guys thank you have a great weekend this weekend i'm sure we'll catch up with you soon alex enjoy the rain in bahrain that must be uh, fun I, I uh, don't that, forget I that the clouds have disappeared but it's still incredibly windy no one's uh, from what i can see out of the balcony no one's even sitting around the swimming pool that was going to be, yeah. Uh, I've, oh, I've got, oh, I've got far too much work to do to be doing such things. But, uh, but yeah, maybe right, tomorrow. Right, okay, sure. Or maybe the speeders will be on later. Well, thank you for listening to today's podcast. As always, you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice in all the usual platforms and places. Check out the videos as well on our YouTube channel. Make sure that you tune in this week as we look forward to the countdown to the very first race of the season. And we'd love to know from you as well who you think did well at testing and who uh, you are looking forward to seeing racing this weekend. You can email us, podcast at autosport.com. Any feedback, questions, comments, I'll read them out on a future show. That's podcast at autosport.com have a good and thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next one Sports Social Podcast Network With Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.